0: Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton and I work with Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm joined this week by my good friend Carolyn Foley. Hello, Carolyn. How are you?
1: Hello, Stuart. I am doing pretty okay. Thank you.
0: Um, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm also pretty okay. Pretty okay to mostly okay to maybe somewhat okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of one of our coworkers and I had a conversation earlier today about how if you ask a certain group of people, um, you know, if if you say, how's it going? And they respond with, well, you know, why I'm here. That actually means like much, much worse than what <laughs> it is. So I'm not here. I'm maybe three steps above. That. You're three <laughs> steps
0: above here. That's good. Uh, presence is important. It is. But uh, no, I used to, I used to always be honest when people ask me that because let's be, you know, things are usually not that great. Uh, you know, it's all in a downward spiral towards the end here. Uh, and so then I used to be, well, for always, oh, what's up? Not much. You know, but then I, I was honest for a long time and then I learned you really can't be honest uh, to that question. So you have to be three steps above honest, I guess, uh, in your case. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes.
0: Anyway. Uh, with today, We're going to speak today with Maria Dittrich, who's a professor at uh, the University of Toronto. She and a whole bunch of co-authors wrote a paper on like uh, a great or large lake, not great lakes, although there are great lakes in there, uh, large lake degradation um kind of globally, and they looked at some of what's going on and set up a framework for uh, thinking and worrying about that. And so since one of the main things we love to do is stress about environmental problems on this podcast, we're going to go ahead and do that. So let's, uh, the good news is she is a researcher. So let's go ahead and hit the researcher feature theme, and then we'll talk with Maria. Researcher Feature a feature in which your research are going to teach us about the Great Lakes. Our guest today is Dr. Maria Dietrich. She's an associate professor of biogeochemistry in the Department of Physical and Environmental Sciences and the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Toronto. Maria, how are you today?
2: Great. Thank you. Uh,
0: Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you uh, joining us to talk about this interesting work that you do. So first of all, let's start with the real big picture. What is a a biochemist exactly? What is it that you do?
2: It's actually biogeochemistry. And you can imagine that I'm interested in any interaction and understanding interaction between life and our Earth. So, uh, for example, if we're looking into the lake, we, we want to understand cycling of any element, for example, nutrients. And if we take phosphorus, this cycle can be driven by many chemical reactions. But for many cases, the reaction will be triggered by organisms even by microorganisms. So uh, one very, very simple example, we're looking at the processes at the bottom of the lake. Right. Of course, it's a lot of mud and it's nice to play with, but you can imagine a lot of microorganisms are walking there and doing their job to release our phosphorus or nutrients so to work on this we are talking about the subject of biogeochemistry we need biology we are also interested in the geological background but we also need chemistry because it's a lot of chemistry going on so I am biogeochemist. So that must give you like a
0: yeah that must give you like a really interesting perspective on uh, you know what exactly it is that drives all of the stuff happening in the Great Lakes. Um, that that is interesting. And so uh, one of the reasons we invited you on today is that you recently with a bunch of colleagues, a whole bunch of colleagues, uh, published a paper called. I'm going to get the title right. Scientists' Warning to Humanity, Rapid Degradation of the World's Large Lakes. And so I saw this paper, and I was a little bit concerned, I'll be honest, because um, uh, I don't like it when scientists are warning me. But uh, let's let's sort of think about that. What is a large lake sort of in the way that you're talking about it, and why are they important?
2: I actually like your reaction. You should be actually concerned. And uh, uh, this paper is um, that is the main task of this paper. We want to warn our humanity about uh, large lakes. What is a large lake? So that was our first point of discussion. The first definition was actually in 1982. And the large lakes were defined by any inland waters greater than 500 square kilometers. In our paper, we selected and uh, consider all the lake are uh, Which are larger than one hundred kilometers square?
0: Okay, so smaller large lakes than the original definition. Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: Did was that just uh, you had to pick a point, or what? um, How did you arrive at a hundred square kilometers? Right in, in surface area.
2: Yes, because we were looking into the main or impact of this lake and also their geographical distribution if we look on all the lakes we selected they are actually account for almost 90 percent uh, of the total surface area and volume of the world's lakes so really? you can imagine they are really crucial they are really important uh, you can just look on our great lakes we're sitting up and if uh Look how many people actually live there. It's almost 50 million. And hmm. it's just like one system of the large lake. If we look in Japan and Lake uh, Beaver, Lake Beaver, for example, provides drinking water for almost 15 million people. So these are, those were like criteria why we actually limited our paper for the lakes right. larger than 100. Although, if you're getting 90
0: percent of the surface area or volume, that's not—it's not that limited, is it?
2: <laughs> not, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: And so, um, so, so these are important because they contain a lot of water, uh, uh, about 90 percent or
1: so. Um, and and now because so just. Sorry, if I can, this is Carolyn. Um, if I could just step in for a second, are they all freshwater lakes or are some of them
2: saltwater lakes? Uh, they are all different lakes. And of course, the, some of them are salt lakes. They uh, We we also consider the diversity of the uh, large lakes, some of them salt lakes. And as you know, maybe they're the biggest in inner water is Caspian Sea, which is salt. Uh, but what is also important for us to to cover the diversity in the world and to cover this ge- geographical diversity, this different salinity, the different biota, uh, and still being large. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Cool.
0: Thanks. So, so obviously, when you're looking at all these different lakes, it's hard to give a pat answer to this, but so this is about the degradation of the large lakes like what is you know what is causing degradation to these lakes like is it I mean I assume it's primarily humans um, but but what are the types of degradations that you're seeing or uh, that you're concerned about I guess
2: the degradation is actually this is a very good question the degradation can uh, happen on different way it could be physical it could be chemical it could be biological degradation. And um so you're
0: perfect as a biochemist. Yeah. <laughs> exactly,
2: <laughs> right. that's why we're doing that. And um, if if we look into the degradation and we're asking the question why large lakes are actually very sensitive, you can imagine those lakes have a huge surface area. And of course, if you have if your lake, like, has a, has a huge surface area, it would be very sensitive to climate. It's evaporation, it's uh, water temperature, it's impact of precipitation, just talking about meteorological and climate condition. Mm -hmm. But we talk about huge population and ecological services as a habitat for us or for people. So we have a huge population. So the other source of degradation is anthropogenic impact. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're changing land use. Of course, we're using the water for our purposes. And this is all impacting these huge lakes. And this results in degradation, yeah.
0: So so that's something I didn't expect. But the actual surface area makes the lake more vulnerable to climate stressors in some ways. Is that because it interacts with the air more, I suppose, is what it is? No. Of course,
2: just huh. imagine, or in, it has been shown, even it's like, there was some discussion about that, that larger lake, like Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, they're actually changing their temperature rapidly than a small lake, like hmm. Lake Erie. And if you imagine Lake Superior, which has been under ice cover for longer period of time, as it is now, it will impact the whole food chain. The, the lake is not as long under the ice cover. Okay. It means it will be easily uh, warming up in, in the spring. It will be earlier. It's dangerous for cold species, yeah. very treacherous cold species like fish cold species. Maybe they cannot survive. It will be also impacting algae. And so on, because it's a huge surface area and it's impacting. If you look on the other side to Lake Erie, the water temperature has not been changed as fast as in the Lake Superior and Lake Michigan.
0: And that, that's at least partially because of the surface area difference. Exactly. Huh, that's totally exactly. counterintuitive uh, because you think it has, you know, the larger volume of water would provide like ballast. Uh, but I, I guess not. Huh. So we're looking at, you know, the degradations, of course, the, it's anthropogenic, it's climate, which is anthropogenic, of course, um, and it's uh, changing in inputs. And so that leads to this idea that your paper is called a warning, though. So can you explain to us why you decided like, oh, we're going to have a, a warning to humanity? And it looked like there's a you said this is the second warning and there's a framework. Like, can you talk a little bit about the warning and the framework and how that how we can think about the lakes, I guess, as a result of that?
2: There's actually a long history of scientist warning. I think it started uh, even in the 90s. The scientists started warning to humanity in different aspects, which is um, kind of trying to to find a dialogue between our uh, society and scientists. And our paper... They forgot to warn
0: me. Whoops. I'll have to look into <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> and our, our paper is the main um, target was to provide a framework that we can actually access all the dangers of of their degrading of the large lakes. what we actually thinking all oh, the large lakes are actually healthy, looks beautiful, and uh, it, it's not as as bad as small. Um, and um, that's why this paper actually, that's how this paper, has been written it's a product of uh north american and european collaboration on one small workshop where we're starting saying my god we we see a lot of changes and what is uh great in the great lakes there is a long history of monitoring very long history of monitoring so our research based on solid data, so we can actually provide a long history. And we can see, indeed, there is a huge uh, degradation. We can look into the long sediment cores, the archives of history, the archives of history of land use changes, of environmental pollution. and, And we can actually combine this, with their water quality data.
1: And so the what types of organizations are gathering those long-term data sets that you're referring to? Um, are there particular organizations that you rely uh-huh. on?
2: There are several organizations, and we actually there is in the paper, so we 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 can't count them all. Them the Great Lake uh, Observatories, for example, for North American lakes, uh, there is Environment Canada, their organization in the states, uh, it's NOR So it's it's very 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 long uh, list of different organizations. Uh, there are. A lot of organization in Europe. So you you saw uh, data on European lakes. The data goes back to 1920s and even 1800 something in Switzerland. Wow. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, there there are many. Thanks God, and many organization which can uh, governmental and uh, governmental organization mainly who can provide the data.
1: So it is typically a um even in other parts of the world, it's typically a government organization that maintains this long-term exactly. Exactly. That Yeah, that is really important. Cool. So I had one other question um about the in terms of the 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 um the degradation that you've been talking about um through the paper, are there a couple that were sort of consistent across the entire world? Rather than localized, like what are the the threats that are kind of consistent everywhere, or are there none that are consistent everywhere?
2: This is a very good question, sir. So, uh, we will look into the different, and that was one of the main points uh, why we were looking in, in North America and European lakes, and uh, for example, the climate and impact of climate. Uh, this. The cause of degradation of the lake. It goes through through all the different lakes. Um, eutrophication, based on uh, increase of nutrients impact and land use. Of course, uh, those are degradation which can be observed in in lakes in North America and in Europe. Uh, nowadays uh, we have uh, microplastics which is a hot topic and it it goes to Arctic so we can we can even find it in the Arctic and just a uh, very recent paper came from um, are from University of Toronto, where they were investigating um, microplastic uh, from washing uh, blue jeans, and they found that even in sediments in Arctic. So, like you can imagine it, and, <laughs> oh and that is exactly so. What we can do? What we can do? Even once we're washing here our blue jeans, and this is very typical micro phaser So micro. Uh, Phase where you can find them back in Arctic, so uh, it's it's going through. Of course, there is some typical um, typical um, degradation if you have a mining site close to the large lake, or if you if you have a uh, different organic contaminants or heavy metals. Yeah, that's what we also have in our here for example in detroit or hamilton harbor so we have a huge pollution uh from uh, steel industry it's very typical okay. so it's just because we have steel industry here in hamilton harbor and we see that in the sediment a lot of iron um yeah yeah that's can be typical and can be globally um
0: I encourage listeners who are interested in more microplastics. This has actually come up a couple times before. Uh, so why don't you go to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash one, the number one, to hear our very first episode where we talk with Sarah Zach about microplastics. Or if you want to go to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 15, number one, five. We speak with Dr. Lorena Rios-Mendoza about the chemistry of microplastics. Uh, lots of garbage. Um, so that is an issue that's come up over and over and over again. And I guess I'm not surprised, but I am dismayed to hear you mention it here.
1: But I think it does a really good job of illustrating how, you know, everything we're doing can affect what's happening all over exactly, the place. Like exactly.
2: We're yeah. all connected. Yeah. 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 But it's such a
0: challenge, though, because it's it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, we have blah, blah, blah. But I mean, you're talking about industry and jobs and I'm wearing jeans as we speak. I'm glad to say I wore pants to work this week. Um, but, you know, and, and I will wash <laughs> yeah. these sometime in the next several months. and And so it's just it's
1: hard, isn't it?
2: yeah yeah that's uh you don't know where where you can you where you can go it's everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: well, you make some recommendations in the paper though about um things that people can try to do to help with the degradation. um do you mind talking a little bit about some of those and and I know you mentioned that this list isn't exhaustive, but the fact that you pulled them together, oh also incidentally, this paper is open access, so we'll leave a link for this one in the um the show notes for this note as well Wonderful so people can have a look and we're not supposed it. to advocate
0: so um, I'm not going to advocate so. but uh, open access uh, publishing is awesome love it
1: yeah <laughs> but yeah so but yeah back to the question um, what are some of the recommendations that you make for people who want to help with um, some of the degradation um, you talk
2: about? of course there is as as we all know in life there is some small steps some middle and some large steps uh, what, uh, what we can do um, and if we will start with the small steps and we were just talking about uh, the microplastic and I would say the small step of course is to use as as less as possible uh, plastic and um, going further I would say to to use, as less as possible, producing waste, and of course, this is kind of more on passive side. On the active side, there is a lot of stewardship, especially in in Great Lakes area. What I know, we have a lot of community beach cleaning or uh, stewardship uh, to collect the water samples. in In Lake Ontario, I'm participating uh, in collecting. Uh, water samples during the massive rain, because during the rain we know a lot of erosion happening, a lot of pollutants coming in, and sometimes monitoring is not working during the um, precipitation event. So just uh, participate there, right. uh, of course, active participation in in the uh decision making and policy making and uh, the big big step uh is mitigation of climate change and uh looking how we're dealing uh, with uh, energy consumption what is our carbon footprint are we traveling a lot we're using co2 or so and so on I think it's a lot what we can do on all their spectra of the as a consumers, yeah. So it's it's a lot of stuff we can impact and can improve the water quality, right?
1: Right. And I just want to um, double back on a point you just made about how sometimes because you have these great long term data sets, um, but they are also well organized, well ahead of time, that sampling in place X will happen at time Y because we have to go to all of these other places. Um, So having those opportunities if you have a group that can go out like right after a big rain event, or, um, we've -hmm. talked about that in Lake Michigan too, that there are these huge plumes that come out. Um, like how can we mobilize? Like, can we use drones or things like that to have a look at what's happening? So if community based organizations can. Yeah. That was a huge effort after
0: hurricane Harvey. I lived in the Galveston Bay area for that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the big things we did with the Galveston Bay, Galveston Bay estuary program was organized sampling, uh, for, for just those reasons to see, uh, see how stuff changed there yes
2: yeah. yes yeah
0: and then uh, i'd be remiss if i didn't plug also the uh, cooperative science and monitoring initiative which is something that sea grant and who else the epa and uh oh
2: environment, environment canada, canada. 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 Yes. Yeah. Environment. are all involved in the, uh, yeah. yeah it's uh, great lake protection action remediation plans and it's a lot of uh it's a lot of uh, actually grants for uh, so called area of concerns yeah. on both sides for the for US and also for, for Canada. Yeah.
1: And do they have similar um, similar setups in other parts of the world too on large lakes? Do they have yes. kind of these? Yes, they, um, they
2: have pretty similar. In many cases, large lakes are also like border. Oh, right. For example, Lake Geneva is border right. Switzerland and uh, France. Lake Constance, where we have a lot of examples in the paper, is a border lake between Germany and Switzerland. Lago Maggiore between Switzerland and Italy. In many cases, the bilateral agreement, not in many, in all cases, uh, the bilateral agreement on the water quality, on monitoring, and uh, there are special funds, special I know from from Germany, Switzerland, and Italy, there is even special funds for boarding water in the European Framework Program. Hmm. Yes, yes.
1: So I wanted to ask one more question about kind of how this paper developed. So um, if you look at it, we mentioned at the beginning that there are a lot of co-authors, and this is part of a, a special issue of the Journal of Great Lakes Research um, that was focused on a particular conference, I think. So um, can you talk just a little bit about what it's like to create a paper like this and work with so many it's, people? And... I
2: should say it was wonderful experience. And are mainly driven by uh, Jean Philippe and Orlan, their first two co authors. And it was amazing. It was a pretty small first conference between our IAGLER, it's our uh, International Association of Great Lakes Research, and our uh, large lakes uh, organization from Europe. It was the first conference. And was not so many people around hundred, and uh, we were just sitting and asking questions. And at one point, um, it was a, like one session, not so many people. And one point, someone say, "Okay, why, why we're not coming all together and we'll write one paper? So we have so many uh, data, and we're working in so many lakes, but we have this. In many cases, we have similar problem." And actually, Jean-Philippe and Orlando started this. They divided. First, we had a discussion over emails, what would be the topic, and then divided in in main uh, topics. And two or three people were writing one uh, session on, like, one degradation topic or introduction, putting the literature. And actually... I was thinking it will be forever, but it was pretty, very, very effective. And uh, <laughs> it was a great, um, yeah, it was great leadership of uh, Jean-Philippe and Orlando that they kind of put us all together and uh, giving us deadline and say, okay, you have to finish this. And each of us, uh, two or three, I was with a team of two other people and we were uh, writing and discussing our small part, and then we were discussing uh, the big picture, and so on. And um, it was several iterations, but it was it was great. Um, the yeah.
0: focusing power of a hard deadline, I think,
1: is
2: yeah. exactly exactly. So it's uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: but also the value. I mean, and this is another thing that we've heard a couple times through these podcasts: the value of getting people together in the room to start to think about okay we're all working similarly in other places how can we work together this is a really cool this is
2: amazing Um, because you 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 feel this energy you know like you feel the energy and expertise and you you start working with people and it's it's just great experience yeah yeah
0: that sounds great. Well, Maria, this is really interesting, but that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes. We invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose?
2: Ah, oh, that's a hard one. So, that's a hard one. Sure. So, but I I should say I would I would go with the lunch. I was go with a lunch and maybe a couple of nice people. Yeah, uh, to have this great sandwich.
0: <laughs> okay, good. So when I'm in Toronto, where do I go to get a great sandwich?
2: Uh, there is. I I live in the beaches, oh. which is uh, which is a great which is great area, and uh, there are several several good places. And one of my favorite is actually. Uh, bagel on fire so this is a nice bagels on fire and they like they're doing great job with sandwiches wonderful
0: yeah. well i can't wait to go for a sandwich at bagel on fire uh great and the uh, second question is is this we'd like to leave our readers with our readers we don't actually have any readers we'd like to leave our listeners um with one what well, we do have trans let me start this whole deal over. We like to leave our listeners with one piece of uh, life advice. You know, something they can take home with them. It can be big or little, serious or silly, uh, whatever. What's one piece of solid life advice that you
2: have? Uh, it, it's hard with a silly one. I have to think <laughs> <laughs> a lot. silly one. <laughs> the one which I'm thinking is just never give up. And uh, yeah, I think that is the the advice I follow and follow. I think that is the best one.
0: That is really wonderful advice. Well, Maria Dittrich, uh, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Uh,
2: The best is my, of course, my uh, homepage, uh, also my Twitter. So I'm posting uh, there all our news and some my, my own opinion on what is going on, those are two the best. And um, yeah, you're always welcome to come to Toronto and to visit the University of Toronto, of course, and uh, enjoy Great Lake Ontario.
0: Done and done. Uh, well, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, and Maria Dietrich, uh, Associate Professor of Biogeochemistry in the University of Toronto, thank you for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes.
2: You're very welcome. It was my great pleasure.
0: Thanks so much to Maria for joining us and talking about that that really interesting paper that is kind of terrifying in its own way. Um, but I, I think it's really valuable whenever huge groups of scientists can get together and sort of, you know, talk about their collective, I, I would call it lessons learned. You know, they say it is a warning and of course there's a warning involved, but it's like, this is what we know uh, as a group of scientists who all work on related issues.
1: Right. And the whole thing about science is, you know, the, the more you see a certain thing, the more certain you are that it's, actually happening and when you are considering ways to address it the more times that that those work the more you should do that no, that's a really good so, point
0: when you're seeing these patterns not just in lake michigan or not just like michigan not just the great lakes but across the nation and the globe uh that's pretty meaningful yeah
1: yeah it's really really cool so right.
0: well what is one thing that you learned about the great lakes today carolyn
1: um so i thought it was really interesting that they you know by Bumping down the surface area size by you know 500 kilometers squared to 100 kilometers squared, they managed to capture 90 uh, percent. Was yeah. it of the all the surface area of the inland lakes said, that are not necessarily all freshwater lakes? But that's pretty important. yeah. She
0: said surface area and volume, um, which I guess and is volume. not inherently surprising, but it's still uh, still notable. I agree. That's uh, it's amazing that so much of our uh, our now, she said world's lakes, so I don't know how rivers. We should tune in for some future episode where I ask a lot about that. Uh, but still, so much of our uh, lake uh, um, water is contained in, in really, really kind of large lakes. Uh, that is interesting. And related to that the thing, I think I mentioned it a couple times, but that sort of, to me, counterintuitive relationship between surface area and susceptibility to climate change specifically, um, I thought was was pretty interesting. And that's was sort of tricky about science and anything is is it's not always obvious, right?
1: Right, yeah, and and um, that's why it's important to have people who are thinking about it and being objective and yep. trying to figure out what the... The answer is, I will say that the one thing that I, I meant to ask that I didn't was she talked about the mud that was lovely. Yeah. And when I started out as a researcher in the Great Lakes, there's this thing called a ponar. It's like a big set of jaws. That you can drop down to the bottom and you pull up the sediment. And whenever you're sampling, you sort of sieve it through depending on what you're looking for. Sometimes you want the fine sediment. Sometimes you want the invertebrates, which you can guess which one I was going for. But... One time we pulled up this mud and uh, the field crew that I was on, we were like, man, this looks fantastic. And one person said, we should just give ourselves a facial with it. Oh no! So I like grabbed a full handful and like rubbed it all over my face. And, you know, thinking back, what I, I was young, that was my first field job. There's a chance that maybe I should not have rubbed that all over my <laughs> face, but, you know.
0: We should have at least done the, the biogeochemical sampling first and found out how sick. Exactly,
1: anyway. exactly. You should have run the samples before yep, 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 to do yep, that. Yep. Or perhaps autoclave them or something. But yeah,
0: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, just autoclave your face afterwards. And <laughs> That's like young okay. scientist insults. No, autoclave your face. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, where should people go if they want to find out more about Sea Grant, Carolyn, in case I don't remember the social media stuff?
1: Um, well, they can visit our website, iicgrant.org, .org. or we are on Twitter, Twitter Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, and Instagram. YouTube. Um, and uh, I believe all of those are I L I N. S-E-A-G-R-A-N-T.
0: I-L-I-N Grant for Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. And you can find more of our podcast at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com or follow it on the Twitter feed, which I'm going to successfully tell you right now is uh, twitter.com slash lakes. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We'll see you again on the first and Monday of every month, the third Monday of most months. And uh, in the meantime, keep great in those lakes. Somewhere's the outro. There it is. Did I hear you singing that?
1: Yeah, I, I sang one of them. Yeah, that was yeah. good.
0: Almost as well, probably better than I did.